Would you open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John? Very familiar verse of Scripture, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Now, the title of my message today is Why? W-H-Y with a question mark. Why? That's the title. Why? Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have the abundant life, that they would be kept, C-K for keep, S for satisfy, and D for deliverance. Jesus came to loose us from everything that binds, destroys, robs, and kills people in this life. Now, in light of this, there's two other scriptures that I want to add to this. One is in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, which you're also familiar with. It says, lest Satan should gain an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his methods. And then there's another verse that in Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 27. He said that we're not to give place to the devil. We're not supposed to. We don't have to. It's not required and we should not. But when I look at Christendom and look at Christianity, and I've known a lot of people for a lot of years, I look at all the places I've been, what people have heard, how many years people have heard it, how many hours traveling to meetings and taking notes and listening to tapes, and they're still being robbed. They're still being stole from, they're still being destroyed. And it's as though you can teach on the devices the devil uses, the methods he employs to bind and rob and steal and kill people. And it's not working or they're not doing anything about it. And I ask the question to you, why? Why in light of the many warnings in scripture, the clear warnings of what the devil does and how he does it, and the consequences or the effect of what he does, it is clearly outlined in the scripture as a warning to us. And yet the very things that he says he's going to do and is doing, he does it in places like this, where you sit and you say you hear the word and so on and so forth, and he does it. He's able to bind, kill, steal, and destroy in all the various ways you can translate that. He makes people's lives miserable. He defeats people, depresses people, takes the fight out of you, makes gloom come, makes you wonder if when the other shoe's going to fall, and makes you ask yourself. He puts those thoughts in your minds because that's his area of attack. It's not working for you. God doesn't love you. Maybe you're not one of his elect. Or maybe you've been deceived by what you've been hearing. Maybe all this fine stuff he's been talking about or they talk about really isn't true after all. Maybe God really doesn't do all these things that you've heard that he's promised to do. And there's a resignation, too much of a resignation amongst God's people, saints. They just give in and cave into the pressure and cave into the problem and settle into another kind of a lifestyle, which is identified with complaining, 
criticism, yuckiness, anger, all of that has replaced joy and peace because, well, that's what happens when the devil gets his foot in the door. You give place to the devil and you can, Ephesians 4.27, I quoted it. You give place to the devil, he can come in and he can begin to do the things that he does. Why? Why? We've been taught better than that, haven't we? We know better than that. We know what he does and stuff, but then he does it anyway. Do we have any power to stop it? Do we just lay down and let him run over us while we sing, I've got the victory in the name of Jesus? Why? That's my question. Why? Well, the answer is somewhat simple. The answer is the reason we're overrun and kill, steal, and destroy is because we don't fight. We don't fight. We know about fighting. We've heard how to fight, but, well, we don't fight. And you know what? If you don't fight, you can't win. You can never be an overcomer or qualify as an overcomer if you don't fight. Fighting the good fight of faith is a church cliche more than a, a living reality. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. People can quote that, but they don't engage that. That's not a part of their life. Why? Why? We don't fight. What do we resist the devil with? What do we resist him with? I mean, we're told to resist the devil. How do we do it? You got two things. We got two things. I'm going to put them on the board. The dynamic duo. Or maybe you call it the deadly duo. One is the word. The word. But the word is nothing more than just a word if that's all it is to you. It's the book of the church. It is the way of God to the church. It's his word. It's his warning. It's his guarantee. It's his promise. It's his word. And his word is light. Let me draw you a light bulb. If you don't have the word of God, you have no light. Therefore, you do not know what to do. You can't fight an enemy with what God gives you if you don't know what God gave you. You cannot overcome the devil with the word of God if you don't know what the word says. And when the devil comes, that's not a time to get your little memory cards out and hold them up and read them to him because he can read them better than you can. You see, the word of God has a design, has a purpose. There's a reason for the word. It does a lot of things. Probably the best thing it does is say, born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed by the word of God which lives and abides forever. An eternal word never changes, always new. There's no age, no culture that has ever changed so much that the word changes with it. Heady, intelligent people say, well, that was true back in those days, but you know, today it's different and those things don't work today. Well, that would mean the word is not for today. But it is for today, unless somebody's told you it isn't and you don't believe it. The word is like God. He said, I change not. It is forever settled in heaven. Remember Isaiah 55? 
In verse 11, he said, so shall my word be which goes forth out of my mouth. God says to us, so shall this word be that I'm speaking to you. When I speak this word to you, this is what it's for. It is designed to accomplish that which I please. If he said he bore our pains and carried our diseases in his word, that's what the word is designed to do. That's what it's able to do. And he said it will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Then we should all prosper. We should all be doing well every day. We should all be looking down at problems and not up at them. We should all have the victory because the word that God gave us, the only divine word there is, assures us that and gives us that. That's what it says. He said that thy word endures forever in the Psalms. His word is forever settled in heaven. He said, thy word in Psalm 119, 160 is true from the beginning. It'll never change. Whatever problem you have this morning, whatever difficulty or pressure you're going through this morning, God has already given you a word about it. And he has himself promised to watch over that word that he gave you to do what with it? To perform it. Now he said he would. And yet, so many people don't stay with that and they back away from that. Why? That's my question. Why? Why with 8,000 promises in the Bible are Christians so despondent? I'm not talking about just in this room. I'm talking about around the world. We sing songs about the Word. We write hymns about the Word. We read the Word, quote the Bible, and live far below what it promises. Why? How can this be? How can this be? We have a word, a word of power. It's like a light. How many of y'all know that this light doesn't show you what's in a dark room unless it's activated some way? I didn't bring a light bulb with me this morning, but if I had a light bulb in my hand and I held it up here, all it is is a light bulb. It's designed to do something, but it won't do it unless you do something with it. Well, the Word of God's like that. The Word of God, you can carry it around, keep it in your car, and talk about it all the time. But until it's activated in your life, it's just a Word. A light bulb is just a wonderful thing to have if it's dark, but it's worthless if you don't cause it to light up. And the thing that causes it to light up is... Faith. You see, faith is the power cord. And God has granted to everybody who receives his word that they can have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The word is designed to make what you hear work for you. What did Peter say in, in 1 Peter 5, 8 about the devil? He said, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he can devour. Listen, I know you've heard this before, but it ain't working yet. The devil, a legal expert on what he can have and what he can't have, who knows if he can get an inroad into somebody, he has a legal right to somebody. 
that he can bring his wares and his devices to play in somebody's life to kill and steal and destroy. I don't care what church you go to, what kind of Bible you got, or anything else about it. If you don't activate the word that God has given you, if you leave it alone, back away from it for thousands of reasons that people give, you'll get real disappointed about Christianity and soon you'll lose interest. But the devil goes about looking for those people whom he can kill, steal, or destroy. The word spoil comes into play when you steal something, take something from those you have defeated in battle, the spoil. And he looks for people who are easily defeated, easily dethroned, those who give up easy, those who blame their current mental problems on what happened in their childhood. And so they go to a psychiatrist. The problem is sin. The remedy is the word of God. But it's a disappointing word if you don't know how to activate it. You got to believe it. Say, well, I do believe it. No, you don't. You believe it when you trust it. And when you trust it, the power comes into play. And the devil knows more than all of us know that when any of you put these two things together, this combination together, his power over you either begins to wane, subside, or is defeated and stops. He knows that. He knows that God has a way that he says, this is the word and your faith is how it's activated, causing heaven to respond to it. Said, my word shall accomplish that which I please. It will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. I sent it to deliver and to heal, to satisfy. And so God watches over his word, waiting on a response from us. So instead of having faith, we just, oh God, we just cry out and oh, let's keep praying. Maybe God will do something. And God is not waiting for emotions. God is waiting for faith. Plug it in. Take a stand. Hide this word in your heart. Hook your tongue to it. And then say with your mouth what God's word says. When the words in my heart are the words of God, and my tongue speaks those words, it puts me in agreement with God. And it brings his word to bear. That's what the devil dreads. That's not what he has to fight down here very much of. But when he finds that kind of stuff, his power over families, people, whatever, money, minds, it's broken. And he cannot just keep depressing you or your children. He just knows that if he can squelch your confidence in what the Bible said, you'll never plug it in. You'll back away from it. Turn to Ephesians. Ephesians 6. And look at verse 10. Finally, brethren. Now remember, we started with the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now here's something Paul says about that. He said, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Is it possible? Can it be? Do we have to wonder at that? This is what he says. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Then notice these words, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, 
That word is methods also, methods, devices, ways of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the devil, demons, rulers of darkness of this world, all the ugly, nasty, ornery, destructive forces and stuff in the world, everything that makes sad and defeats and hunger and poverty and crime and drugs and all the dirt in the world comes from the powers of darkness. This is who we fight. The ruler of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, or wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand can you? He said you could. To withstand in the evil day and having done all, again to stand. And again, stand therefore. Don't quit. Stand. Having your loins girt about with truth. That's the word of God. And having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace and above all. Look at that. Above all. Plug it in. Taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. How many fiery darts can you quench? Let me ask you a question titled the sermon, then why are these darts so often successful in the church? Why? I'll tell you why. There's something wrong with the shield. Either we've abandoned the shield as God's supply for our need in overcoming and defeating the devil, or else we never had one. Maybe you thought if you came to Shelbyville, you'd just win the battle because the preacher knows how to preach or, or the people there know how to believe. That hadn't turned out to be true, has it? Maybe <laughs> the preacher can't preach too. That's all right, as long as he's anointed. And you know what? The devil goes about like a roaring lion trying to affect you that way. Well, it won't work for you. You haven't been a Christian long enough. And you know, after all, you're just a little bit too eager and the things you're wanting to work, God isn't going to do that for you. Not right now. Not right now. And then, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure the Bible is exactly the way he said it. Then maybe you should go somewhere else and find out if they agree with that. Devil's a master at messing with the mind and just messing with somebody's mind and trying to put things in there that shouldn't be in there. But notice again in verse 16. After he told us three or four times that we'll be able to stand, able to withstand in the evil day, that's the day of attack. And above all, he said, taking the shield of faith by which we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Actually, the wicked one. I want to announce to you this morning something you've heard for 30, 40 years, if you've been here that long, 20 years. There is not a dart, a method, anything the devil can do that the shield of faith cannot stop it. If this verse means what it says, if this is a divinely inspired verse of Scripture, not added by translators, your God this morning has said to you, this word which I'm giving you, when you activate it with faith, 
is of such power that anything, everything the devil does, anything, everything he throws at you is impenetrable to this shield. It quenches all of his fiery darts. All those fiery trials, you've got to have a shield. They overcome it all. The shield of faith, the thing that people are still after 30 years still wondering about, this is what wins the battles. But boy, you think, why are we losing the battle? How has the devil taken the fight out of us? How is it that so many charismatics like you, after so many years, still don't fight? I'm not saying you particularly, I'm just saying in the whole kingdom here. Why is it that people still don't fight? You don't hear fight coming out of their mouth. They don't talk about winning their battles and overcoming. You hear things like, oh boy, you know, the flu's going around, and they say, you know, the swine flu this year is going to be severe, and they're going to, and this is, you know, I don't buy, I ain't got my shots yet, but I can't think I can get one. I drove to New York, couldn't get one. I didn't have any up there either. So I don't know what I'm going to do. After 20 years of hearing just the opposite, just the opposite, we were delivered from whatever the devil does by Jesus at the cross. And he gave us his word to live by the same way he lived by. And the devil had no place in him. He has no place in us. And if he overcame the devil, he said to us, be of good cheer, overcame the devil. So can you. Overcome. Not be overcome. Overcome. Have a living testimony to your family. To your brothers and sisters that I don't have to be defeated. I don't have to be ruled by fear. The fear mongers of the media or the fear mongers in my family or even in the church, I don't have to fellowship with that. I don't have to receive that. I don't have to have that. I do not have to have it. I have been delivered. I am above and not beneath. Principalities and powers that Paul spoke of are under my feet. I'm seated in the heavenly places with Christ. What God laid on Jesus at the cross because of me, the devil has no right to put back on me. He bore that stuff for me. I am free. The spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. I'm delivered. And yet, how many conversations, how many phone calls for the last 40 years, have I been involved with, with people hearing the same thing I am that are just being whooped and rolled over and defeated? Same thing. How is it the devil is taking the fight out of everybody? How's he doing it? Well, listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what he said. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Now, is it possible that Satan could take or get an advantage over us? Of course he could. See, the word devices that I just quoted, devices comes from the Greek word noema, and that comes from the word N-O-U-S, which means the mind. And noema has really to do with your thoughts. That's the target. That's the way the devil comes at you, at your mind. He wants you to start thinking about something 
other than what God says. Just think about it. The mind. I don't know how many times since I reached 55, how many things I've gotten in the mail from insurance companies or from companies wanting to scan me or something. Free scanning at the mall. And I can say it with a clear conscience, since I've had a shredder, I've never read one. I have shredded every insurance application, anything that would get me to have confidence in something besides Jesus, bank accounts or anything else, CDs, whatever you want to call them, any way that I can get myself set for later in life, I don't want it. I don't want it. I didn't start with it, and I don't want to end with it. I don't even want to start thinking about fear. What would I do if the economy died and I lost ever? I don't even want to start thinking that way because I don't believe like that. It doesn't take much for me to live. I don't want to know that I can have a $200,000 life insurance policy for $30 a month. I don't want it. I didn't want it back when I was in my 30s. I don't want it now. Of course, it costs a fortune now, being as I'm, you know, 60 for a while anyway. <laughs> This week, I got this thing in the mail, screening, and I just saw the word stroke at the top of it. And I took that thing, and I shredded that thing all the way through. Somebody, well, didn't you even notice what the symptoms were? I don't want to know what the symptoms are. You see, I have no interest in what the symptoms are. I'm not going to write a book on it. I'm not going to preach about it. I'm not interested. Because, you see, the devil takes that kind of trash and he presents it to your mind as a possibility. This could happen to you. You know, and this, you know, I don't, you know well, so-and-so believed a lot too. Well, how about brother so-and-so? What did he believe in? And look, yeah, uh-huh. What makes you think you're going to just supersede brother so-and-so? Of course, my policy or my belief is I don't care what happened to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so or brother and sister so-and-so at the same time. I know in whom I have believed personally. And I'm convinced that he's able. And I don't need the devil yakking in my ear. Years ago, one of the symptoms of some kind of a problem was thirst. I just saw the first one. You know, constant thirst. Uh, I was thirsty the rest of the day. <laughs> I was. And our lips were getting dry. And I think, hmm. Uh, and the devil said, well, now, you see, maybe uh, these are his devices. Well, uh, you know, maybe you, you know, big shot, maybe you got that, whatever it was. And then I've had to fight that thing for a day or a week and just, I, in the name of Jesus, stop the radio sometimes. Now, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. You say, you're a little extreme, aren't you? I'm very extreme. I don't want nothing but Jesus. Now, he blesses me with a whole lot of things. I have a whole lot of things. But I'd walk away as God is my witness. I'd walk away from all of it if I had to. That's what's required. I just want to know that I have peace with God and that what he has said he will do for me, and the devil can't touch you then. The only thing you've got that the devil can get at you with is called flesh. Flesh. You eliminate flesh like Isaac was talking about, crucifying your flesh and get stuck to the cross. 
and you eliminate the devil's methods. He's got to have your mind. He's got to have you thinking about something. As a man thinketh, so is he. Listen at this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians also chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the devil, the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Let me tell you how simple it is. Jesus said it, you can believe it, and that settles it. Seriously, it is that simple. Jesus said it, you believe it, and that settles it. And as long as you're believing, you're shutting the door to the devil. Because, because, what you're believing is what God said. Not what the preacher said, not what some noble, accomplished theologian said, but what the Word says. Because any noble, accomplished whoever, any preacher, if they are anointed and it's a valid ministry, their goal is to point you to Jesus Christ and the validity of this word. Not to us, but to him. We're required to live the example of it. Like he said, be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The devil doesn't want you inheriting the promises. He doesn't want me to inherit the promises. If he can keep me from inheriting the promise, he will discourage you. He will. Paul prayed for Timothy. He said, stay in the word and do this and do this and do that, that thy profiting may appear to all. It's important that somebody have an example. And it doesn't come because you're shrewd and clever and classy. It comes because you humble yourself to this word and you act like it's true. Yes, you have pain. Yes, the devil uses the pain to say, see, you're not better. It's getting worse. Go back in the bathroom and look at it again. I guarantee it's worse. Go back in and look at it. I wouldn't do it. Years ago when our boy Jimmy fell off the chopping block on his head and all of that, Bonnie sat down and was knitting a sweater. And this voice is, you know, you better go look. This is real serious. I mean, these things, you know, people die. You better go in there and look. She wouldn't look. I ain't going back in there and look. I believe. I believe he's well. He's okay. That sweater was so long. It was <laughs> one sleeve, you know. <laughs> no, it was good. It just made for Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> you wouldn't know who that is, but that's okay. The devil knows if he can invade your mind, then he invades your space. Because your mind is obviously where all the mental activity in your life is in your mind. And if he can project his thoughts and his ideas and his question marks and his uncertainties and his, well, maybes, yeah, I don't know, maybe not. But listen to it again. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, that your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now watch the attack, the next verse. For if he that comes unto you preaches another Jesus. Now stop. What does that mean? What would be another Jesus? It would be somebody other than the Jesus projected in Scripture. 
the Jesus that some people are preaching about today, let's say that the Jesus people are preaching about today, doesn't heal. Oh, he could, and he has, and he did, and all of that. But chances are he won't do that today. You can't be sure. Now, when people talk like that, like many of the fundamentalist church preachers do, they are preaching to you another Jesus because that's not the Jesus portrayed in Scripture. That's a different Jesus. Or he said, they preach another Jesus. And verse 4, he said, whom we have not preached. Or if you receive another what? Spirit. Spirit's sort of the motivator. If your motivation is not by God and his Holy Spirit to his word, then the other spirit is motivating you into this false Jesus and giving you different ways to think about the Bible. Taking logic and reason. Logic would go like, well, you know, don't you think that maybe in the Bible days when they did this or did that, that those things were written, you know, in that time about those things and, and that you really can't apply that same thing into the year 2009? I say, well, now logic would dictate that because intelligent people who can't understand the Scripture try to reinterpret it themselves. And they can do it in such an intellectual way that unlearned people like myself tend to believe that. But the only reason those kind of people can't get to you is because a long time ago, in your simplicity, God showed you that he's your father. He spoke a word to you. He watches over that word to perform it. He'll never change that word. It'll stay yesterday, today, and forever. And for all eternity, it'll be in eternity. And he watches over that, and that's what he's guaranteed that he will do. And he said, I change not. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord, I change not. But now if somebody can skillfully reinterpret the Bible, repicture who Jesus is and what he really meant by what he said, you know, he didn't cast demons out of those pigs. No, I read this scholarly account. Jesus was quite a psychologist. He went to the University of Jerusalem. And that demoniac that came roaring out of the woods, wild man. Jesus told these demons to go out of him and they went into these pigs and the pigs ran over the sea. Well, they said, see, Jesus just hollered at these hogs. Ha! And these pigs were, you know, and they, they just, they all panicked, ran into each other and ran over a hill. And Jesus said, see, your demons are gone. See, it wasn't really a miracle. The Red Sea really didn't open up by the power of a man. It was the planets. Then when they got to Jordan, they lined up again. <laughs> because you see, you receive a different gospel. This is why people don't fight. Things have been altered to people who can be altered because the devil goes about looking for people who are looking for an easy way out, who don't want to pay the price, who don't want to put their hands on the plow, who are looking for something easy, and he's looking for them, and they'll believe anything that takes the pain out of this life. And there's people out there to bring it to them. The more you listen to something besides the gospel, the word of God, the more likely you are to lay down your arms because you're really not convinced that it'll work. And once you get that lodged in your mind, the devil has whooped you because you see there are people out there who rest the word, who corrupt the word. Listen to these words. 2 Peter 3, 16. 
as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. This is a warning. This verse of scripture here tells you why Christians don't resist. 2 Peter 3, 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking of Paul, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand. He got them by revelation. Hard to be understood. Which they that are unlearned, that hadn't got it right, and unstable without faith, rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto what? unto their own destruction. Now, if somebody comes along and tells you that the Bible doesn't exactly mean it the way you've been hearing it, times have changed. And while Jesus said this, what he meant was this. I've heard this my whole Christian life. A preacher somewhere said something on a tape and somebody who challenged that had one of his followers come up and say, well, that's not what he meant. Well, bless his heart, did he ever know what to say? Thank God for a little interpreters that follow people. Well, 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 that ain't what he meant. Well, that's not what he meant. They said that about scripture. Well, now, now wait a minute. Now, that's not what he meant. See, the Bible said he bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. You see, he's talking about the pain of sin. Sin makes the whole body, you know, the whole head sick and, you know, you're just sick in your sin. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about your physical body. Except Matthew 8, 16, 17 messes that up because he healed people's physical disease, said this is what he was talking about. But people come along, clever, shrewd, gifted speakers, get a lot of people's attention, and they talk about all the things the Bible doesn't mean that it said it meant. Next thing you know, it's an entertainment session. A lot of people like that. The church begins to grow and it gets big. If it grows and gets big, it's got to be God. And that's deception. The stronger the word, probably the smaller it gets. Jesus only had 12. If you'll go to Acts now, we can get started. Acts chapter 13. The devil does his very best to defeat, to destroy, to make you lose interest, to give in, give up. You can be very zealous. And he'll put you somewhere that the word doesn't mean all the things that it says. The only thing the Bible meant for sure was that you could be forgiven of your sins and you could be saved. And if you believe you're saved, the only other thing that's important in a whole Christian life is witnessing on the street. Get saved yourself. Try to get others saved. That's all that's important. You don't have to grow. You don't have to walk. You don't have to overcome. Just witness and get saved. Well, you got to start with getting saved, but I'll guarantee there's a whole lot more to this than just passing out tracts. We all have to stand before God when it's over and give an account for our lives. Now, I pray that he will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I allowed false prophets to come into your areas and in your movement. I allowed false teachers to come into your movement. 
I allowed false people to come into your movement. I allowed this to happen and that, the sensational things. They came along to test you, to try you, to see where your faith really is. Do they speak according to this word? I remember the, one of these so-called prophets. He poked fun at divine healing once. Oh, she said, oh, I'm sorry, y'all don't believe in aspirins. And that's when I said, it's over. We're done. Am I that narrow? I was. I don't want anybody like that teaching me. I don't want to listen to anything else he has to say unless I've got to refute something. I don't want to hear it. I really don't. Acts 13, verse 6. And when they had gone through the isle into Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was bar Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, I mean, a careful man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now, this is the work of the devil, the next verse. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so was his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from what? From the faith. The devil doesn't mind you singing about the word, carrying your words to the church, having a system of reading the Bible. Every the devil doesn't mind you reading the Bible or talking about the Bible. He can quote the Bible. He quoted it to Jesus. He just doesn't want you to believe it. He doesn't want you to get all caught up in the Word of God until it captures your heart and your will to where you want to take him at his word. He doesn't want you to do that. If the devil can keep faith out of your life, he doesn't care what else you do. You will finally quit because you'll be discouraged. Well, I read the Bible, but it doesn't work, does it? No, what's wrong? You need faith. Faith. If you don't have that, all you have is a Bible like a light bulb without any electricity. So he said in verse 8 again, Elemis the sorcerer, seeking to turn them away from the faith. Then Paul said in verse 9, what is a sign to everybody who is misleading people, who is giving misinformation to the church, who is deceiving the church, corrupting the church, and lying to church people or using psychology instead of the word. This is one sentence for all of them together. Whether the big churches, the denominational, non-denominational, the fundamentalists, whoever they are that are misleading people about the truth, here's one verse of scripture for the whole bunch of them. Verse 9, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, which means an anointing, special anointing came upon him for this moment. He said, verse 10, O full of all subtlety, that's fraud and deceit, and all mischief, wickedness, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? That's what he says. Because when you take the word of God, listen to me, and you handle it deceitfully, when you take the word of God and you see an advantage here for you in some way, like you take the tongues out of Scripture or put Santa Claus in it or put the Easter Bunny and the Halloween program in it, somehow under the guise of the church ought to have a little fun and after all, a merry heart doeth good. And you begin to excuse 
and dismiss all the things that God says about all of that crazy stuff, and you introduce that into the church, the people just give in to that, and there's a spirit that goes with that because you can receive, with a bad gospel, false gospel, you can receive another spirit. Didn't Paul say, be careful who you listen to? Didn't he? He said, you know who's teaching you this. Of course, he knew what he believed. He said, take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear it. But he said, oh, full of subtlety and all mischief, wickedness, you child of the devil. Is that strong? You agency of darkness. You are perverting the scripture, misleading God's people with misinformation. They are believing what you're saying and they're going to let down their guard and these people are going to be destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Or as Isaiah said, my people have gone into captivity. They're in bondage. They're in bondage to the devil and his ways because they have no knowledge. They've been talked out of it. It's been re-explained. It means something else now. They've been defeated by it. What a sad commentary for today and what's happened. But he said, you enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? In Acts 20, when Paul was in Ephesus, he warned the preachers. He met with the elders. He said, when I depart from you, there's going to be false teachers come in and draw away disciples after them. I've seen that happen here through the years. Somebody comes in with a nice, soft approach to something, and people are emotional. They like that soft approach to things, and they follow that, and they're misled. They don't even come back because they can't. They've lost interest in the truth because they found something more sensible, not extreme, and they like that. The effect of all this kind of stuff is that people become bewitched. Bewitched. The word bewitched means to hold under a malign spell. I'm not watering this down, folks. With the wrong teaching, you get a spirit. When the word is twisted, rested, distorted, handled deceitfully, behind all of that is a spirit. And when it comes in, it does a lot of different things. Sometimes they bring other Spirits are with them. But you can literally be in a place where there is life and be dead. Lose interest. Do things you don't even know why you do them. Why do I buy that? Why do I eat that? Why this compulsive behavior? What's that church you're in? Is that it? Yeah. These things get so subtle and so hidden in a person's life, he can never identify and never get dealt with the whole life because it was that way in grandpa, it was that way in mom and dad, it's that way in you, and it'll, you'll pass it on to your children, a whole generation, right down on through the line. They'll be corrupted. Instead of, it shall be well with you and your children after you if you do it God's way. Choice is ours. And I wonder why, with all these promises, does people allow those things to happen? Look at Colossians 2, three verses. Colossians 2, verse 4, page 1870. He says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile or deceive you with what? Enticing words. 
You don't know this morning sitting here if my words are enticing or not. You've got to search the scripture yourself to see if it's true. And if it's true, believe it because you see it in the word, not because I said it. This is a spirit-filled church. This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. These are the present popular movements, the popular churches and the books they write about it and people follow that. Beware lest any man spoil you through all that. Look at verse 18. Let no man beguile you. How many times do we have to hear that? Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Thinks he's got a new revelation, a new slant on the end times and the way people ought to do it. And we used to do it that way, now we're doing it this way. I remember one time something said like this. Wasn't exactly this way, but it was like this. Well, we've heard about faith, now we've got that. Now we're going to go on to something else. We're going to go on to higher, better things. Folks, this is the only thing you have that does, like, relate to God, gets prayers answered, promises, guarantees, and assures blessing. The one condition that God holds us all to is to believe his word. And it starts with being like Mary, sitting at his feet. One thing is necessary, Jesus said. Mary has chosen that good in part because if she sits there and she's really hungering after this, she will be inspired to believe it because that's the work of God. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is a gift from the Lord. Amen. If you're disinterested this morning, I guarantee you in your life, in the way you live your daily life, somebody or something is talking you out of it or you're getting interested in other things that are more interesting to you than God Almighty. And you even begin to weigh what, what you believe in your heart about whatever you're doing, about what God said, whether or not that's right. You lost that edge. That keenness is gone. The effect of all these things, folks, are eternal. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Why? That's the title of the message. Why? Why? Because they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside unto fables. Fables are man's versions, man's tales, concoctions of man about what he thinks the Bible says and what you ought to see. And it's so much of what you like because you don't have to overcome. There's no trials. You like it, so you buy into it. And he said the time will come they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine doesn't give you any room to get away. It grabs a hold of you. He said there's only one way and this is the way. How many of you know that sound doctrine is sometimes legalistic? Because it holds you to doing it. It has no substitutes. Time will come, but they won't endure that. Because they found him another teacher, another movement, another somebody that says you don't have to do that. And who are you preaching that little concrete thing you're in? 
with the few people rattling around in a room about the size of a Sunday school class. Who are you to say that you know more than this big dog over here that's got 25,000 people in his church? I ain't saying I'm anything. I'm just saying the Word of God says what it says. If you get to the place where you're always looking for an easy way out, you're missing it. It is through much tribulation, Luke wrote, that we're going to enter into the kingdom of God. You're going to have to face your old friends. You're going to have to deal with old corrupt lifestyles in your life that's trashed you. You're going to have to quit searching for something that I can get all this kingdom without paying a price. You can't do that. When somebody starts talking to you that way, you're in trouble. You really are. Let me tell you one thing as we close. God did not bring us into this room to fold our arms and be complacent about you. I've heard that before. There is something about deep that calls unto deep. When that which God has put into you connects with God. And the thing between you is the word. And it comes to you as the rain it's the spring rain water in the earth. When the word comes to you fresh and you're not stale and caught up in the world and money and games and playing and doing, you've resigned yourself that if they speak not according to this word, I will have nothing to do with them. Yes, you're narrow and you're going to be hated. You know that you're going to be hated. Say Amen. It's the price you pay, but it's the way God will separate. When the reapers come, they'll begin to separate. In the church, in the kingdom, there are good fish and bad fish. There's wheat and there's tares. They're growing side by side right now. Right now, in this last hour, right before the harvest, they're growing side by side. Malachi says the righteous will become more righteous. The unrighteous will become more unrighteous. But they're in the same room side by side. And in an hour, you think not. Here he comes. And you want to pray that you're clean, that you're free, and that you honor God with your life and your decisions. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to minister to us. Make it clear to us, Lord, what you're saying, what you mean, why you say it that you'd open the chambers of our heart and hide this word in there. For it appears, God, that the only people, the only people in the world that you've given your word to is the church. And yet there's many that don't want it. Teach us how to war, Lord. Teach us how to hold our shield and our sword. Teach us how to turn on the light and maybe for once in our lives, see the enemy flee from us. I ask you in the name of Jesus to bless this congregation right here. Bless the hearing of your word to them. May it take root and become a force. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.